turn to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 3. Back in, I love this book. This book is so good. It's been so good for my heart. You remember last week, Peter was telling the believers that no matter how hard the suffering, no matter what was going on, there was no excuses for an improper attitude or wrong motives or whatever. He's talking about proper Christian conduct. That's what I got out of it. And we talked about the fact that we need to have that right attitude, the right uh, response, the right standard, the right motivation and all that we were doing. And of course, that, that would be uh, not only a witness to each other within the church, because he was talking to the believers, but the witness inside the church would be such that outside the church, people would see that, man, we do love each other. We are disciples of Jesus. And we're not bickering, fighting, and we talked about the church being pretty well divided right now, and the witness wasn't and isn't too good. But we're going to change all that, because with the power of God's Holy Spirit, we can do what he asks us to do. Amen? We can love one another. We can love God and love others and just love the fact that Jesus made it so simple for us. Not difficult. Don't have to have a degree in theology to figure those things out. Amen? So I hope you guys have been doing well with the PCC, proper Christian conduct. But tonight, the keys to suffering in Christ, things we must remember. Chapter 3, verse 13 through 17. Let's read that passage and we'll jump into it tonight. Try to get you guys out of here quicker than last week. Last week was a long one. It was, I don't know what happened with that. But God was in the midst. Verse 13, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? Question mark. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of the threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. Verse 17, for it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Keys to suffering. Now, if we're honest and we all understand this, nobody wants to suffer. Bottom line, it's really something that we could all do without, right? <laughs> but it's something that we really don't have much control over, amen? It comes our way, it happens, it's part of this Christian walk. And of course, Jesus himself said it. I wish he hadn't have said it, but he said it there in John that in this life you'll have what? Say it again with me. Tribulation. But it's been said, the fact of suffering undoubtedly constitutes the singlest, greatest challenge to the Christian faith because when it hits us, we ask, why would a good God allow this suffering? And in, in the area of suffering, you can put trials, you can put tribulation, you can put persecution, you can put loss of loved ones and finances and jobs and anything that comes to the point where it's like, I'm just bummed. Now, of course, the suffering that these people were experiencing, none of us, I believe, has come close, of course. None of us have been chased out of our homes. None of us have been sent off. None of us have been rejected for our faith. Maybe that's true. You know, you think about that. Those of you guys that came out of Catholicism, hardcore Catholics, man, once you, once you pull the plug in Catholicism, it's like 
you're marked. You're, you're, not, you're not, you know, you, you can be, you can look at, and of course we know with, with Judaism, of course, when those guys became Christians, it was, it was off. They were considered dead. And then, of course, on top of that, you throw the government involvement in this and the idea of the persecution that came from them and people being killed for their faith in Christ. Man, compared to them, we aren't suffering at all, right? But we do suffer. We do go through things. We do go through the most toughest situations in life. I want to read to you a book here. From, uh, this, read from this book. It's called Crowded to Christ. Classic, classic book. And I've read this before, and it still astounds me when I read the writings because it is so true. And basically, this, this chapter here is called Shut Up to Faith, meaning that in our suffering, in the things that we go through, the idea you're crowded to Christ, and of course the author sees it as a real good thing. He says, many persons keep themselves in a perpetual foment through hoping they will get into a situation where they can enjoy a better Christian life. They feel enclosed in a net of circumstances which they cannot accept. They are so wearied and baffled and beaten by the continuous pressure about them that they wish and itch for things to be different, quite sure that if things were only different, Christ would be more real. It has never dawned upon them that at the heart of these very circumstances, they find Christ, find his grace sufficient, find the life more abundant. Then he pops down to really a description of, of what we go through. Why the perpetual perils, the hot pursuits, the unrelenting pressure? Why the long, unending succession? Is it mere incident and accident? No. The purpose is that the life of Jesus might be made manifest. Unless Paul be in peril, how can he experience God's escape? Unless exposed to danger and death, how can he joy, enjoy God's deliverance? Unless he be pressed out of measure, how can he appreciate relief? Unless battered down, how can he be lifted up in the life all divine? Here it is for us. In spite of care and prayer, do things go wrong day after day in never-ending succession? <laughs> Are you desperately holding out against the process, praying that the thorn may be removed, only to be crowned with more. Worst of all, worse, <laughs> how can it get worse? Worst of all, you know that you can neither manage nor control the forces arrayed against you. Here, here's this guy, the author, Ellie Maxwell. Why then not just settle down and settle in? Accept the fact that this is your lot for life and neither accidental nor incidental. Cease hoping for things to be otherwise and cease itching to be otherwhere. For you're not moving on, not moving out. This is life. This is home. You may just as well unpack. In your weariest and weakest, most bewildered moments, simply say, Now, Lord, here is my chance and thine. My chance to die. Your chance to manifest the life of Jesus suffering you guys i mean he, he said it perfectly don't you ever feel that sometimes it's like i just can't believe it's like being at uh the beach and and the waves and the, the swell is high and the, the waves just keep coming and the fact that the things that happen in life 
every time we turn around, it's something new, some new trial, some new challenge, some new thing we got to get through, some new thing we're praying for. And yet, that's the fact of life. And of course, Peter addressing that, trying to encourage these believers here, man. So what are we to do in order to endure this, guys? That we might still be standing after the storms cease or passes, even but for a moment. See, in our passion, I believe that Peter gives us these keys to follow or practice that will help us, to give us ability to rise above these challenges, to, to look at the sufferings that come our way, and to really have a way of actually, you know, progressing through them. Not feeling like when the next one hits, you know what? I'm throwing in the towel. I'm done. Because, brothers, that is happening in the church today. People are going through such trials, such hardship, such things that are going on in their lives. They're like, you know what? The enemy pounds, and we'll talk more about that. But the enemy takes extreme advantage of us when we're in the midst of a trial. He doesn't play fair. He doesn't like, well, I'll give you a couple weeks break. <laughs> no. He pounds even harder. He sees blood. He's like a shark. I'm going after it. I'm going to rip you to shreds. But Peter gives these, these keys to follow practice, and I believe they will help us. And there are ways and keys to help us navigate the suffering that is sure to come. Five keys tonight, things we must remember. When the bottom falls out, number one, doing good will bring peace. Verse 13. Your suffering will be rewarded, guys. Number three, always keep Christ as Lord. Always be eager to share your hope and keep doing good in the midst of it. Don't you wish I would have said, you know, you do all these things and all your trials will just go away. They will disappear. It's only going to happen, guess what? When the heart that's inside your chest stops. Only then, and the sad thing, what I'm beginning to realize as I get older is, it's going to get worse as you get older. Because you're dealing with the body now that's saying, that's fighting, really, earth. It's like, get me out of here. I've had enough of this earth. I'm ready to go. And you're like, no, 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 hang on a little longer, okay? I still want to hang around for a while. Body's going, no, ain't going to happen. I'm taking you down, buddy. <laughs> I'm taking you under the, under the grave there. So number one, remember, guys, remember. Now, doing good will bring peace. Verse 13, and who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? Of course, now he's continuing the thought from verses 10 through 11 and 12. The quote there from Psalm 34 was. And in this idea, he's talking about the fact that Peter, in his continuing encouragement for the dispersed, that if they would continue in the, the proper Christian conduct, even while suffering, that with the emphasis of doing good, he asks this question. It's really a rhetorical question. We know the answer. But the question is meant to imply that as a general thing, of course, they need not fear the evil of this world if they are leading an upright and good life. And the fear that they were experiencing will be replaced with peace. That's what he's talking about. Because as a general rule, guys, as a general rule, we know this principle, doing good Doing the right thing as a whole will lead really mainly to positive results rather than negative results. We understand this. But, of course, <laughs> there's no 100% guarantee to that. It's not something that you can take to the bank. It's a principle. It's a general rule. Yes, it's true. But how do we know that it's not 100% guaranteed? Because of Jesus. Verse, chapter 2, verse 22. 
What does it say? Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Here was Jesus, perfectly sinless, doing wonderfully good for everybody. And what happened to him? He suffered horribly. A death of the cross that none of us, none of us would ever want to have experienced. Man. Now, you're going to suffer sometimes for doing the right thing, as we know. But be sure you will suffer more if you're doing the wrong things. For example, for example, I just put down a couple things out. Go out and uh, commit adultery on your wife tonight, okay? Or go out on the street and find the biggest guy and pick a fight with him. Or tomorrow you get up, you've had it with your boss, go into his office and just cuss him out. Choose him on. Punch him in the nose. Or act like a jerk to a police officer when he pulls you over. Hey, for sure, guys, the results of this type of conduct will most likely and obviously be negative. Amen? <laughs> but do the opposite, guys. Do the right thing. This is what Peter's talking about. And as a general rule, things will go well for you. You will not have to fear. You won't have to fear. You're not going to, no one's going to harm you for doing the good things. Proverbs 11, 27, he who earnestly seeks good finds favor, but trouble will come to him who seeks evil. And doing good, you guys, the idea of what he's talking about, it brings peace. And so that's the, the, the purpose behind this. In their suffering, guys, do, the, do good. And it causes you to be peaceful. You're not going to be afraid. You're not going to be looking over your shoulder. Now, Back in the days when you were doing bad, when you were doing stuff in your car, and you were drinking, partying in your car, and you were driving, what were you doing? Man, you were afraid. You were looking all over the place. And that's why today, some of you agree with this, a black and white, I can, it's, I can see them everywhere I go. It's the craziest thing. Am, am I not right? Anybody else? I've said that before. It's like, it's nuts, man. It's just still there. I'm just drooling like, there's one. There's, oh, there's one over there. Because you were so trained, because I was afraid I was doing wrong. Nowadays, I mean, I still pick it out, but I'm not like, I pull up along the cop and I say, man, it's so good to see you, buddy. How you doing over there? How you doing? TPD, love you, TPD, you know, this kind of stuff. Because I'm not doing nothing wrong. Amen? All right, so number two, though, suffering will be rewarded, verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. There's a quote here from Isaiah 8, 2, 8, 12, I mean. We'll talk about that in a second. But in this idea of the being rewarded, we spoke a little just about this last week in verse 9. Remember what he talked about there? That if you not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you're called to this, that you may inherit a blessing, this reward that has been promised to us. So number one, we are blessed when we suffer. No matter how you look at it, guys, even if we suffer for doing the right thing, we can rest assured that God sees it and there will be a reward. Peter said that if they suffered, they were blessed. And brothers, we are blessed. We're talking about this in leadership. We woke up this morning as Christian men saved going to heaven. We're blessed, dudes. It don't matter what's going on in this world. The people out in the world that are fighting and struggling and going crazy and losing their minds and just out of control with what's happening, they don't got the hope we have. It could all end today, and guess what? Woo, man, we're set free. 
the checkbook stays here, the bills stay here, the bad body stays here, the trials stay here, the relationship problems stay here, everything stays here. We're blessed, you guys. And we are going to have this word, reward. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Let's see what Jesus says about this. Matthew 5, verse 10. I love this. Of course, the Beatitudes, how we are to be. Jesus' sermon here. Chapter 5, verse 10 in Matthew. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. There it is. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. And here it is, though. Verse 12, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. He didn't just say glad, exceedingly glad. Why? For great is your reward here on earth. Your checking account will have billions of dollars in it. You'll have 20 cars and, and 100 houses. Oh, no, great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Great is your reward in heaven, guys. Great is your reward in heaven. You are blessed. And we talked about this last week about storing up treasure in heaven where moth and rust and thief can't come and steal and destroy. No way. See, our flesh, though, wishes he would have said something like, well, great is your reward right now here on earth. And we do know some of those rewards come while we're here because we are blessed. The things that we do get to experience, the things that we do get to enjoy while we are here. But for the most part, whoosh, man, it's stored up there. And just think of heaven, this reward. Think of, imagine what, what it must be like. If, if, if Jesus has reserved that inheritance for us in heaven and he has gone to prepare that place for us, imagine. Imagine. That's why Paul could say in Romans 8.18, 818, brothers, you got to know that one. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Man, what is it going to be like? And, of course, Paul had an advantage. Why? Because he was able to pop his head up there in heaven and check it out. Oh, my goodness. It was mind-blowing. Couldn't even talk about it. Shouldn't even been talking about it. Wouldn't even been fair. Wouldn't have been close. So... Your suffering is going to be rewarded, guys. Number one, we're blessed when we suffer. But number two, we are not to fear when we suffer. Now, Peter here to encourage them even more in their suffering and persecution refers to this, this passage in Isaiah, chapter 8, verse 12. And the bottom line in this passage, the story behind it, is that Isaiah, as he's writing, he was there that they should not fear or be intimidated by the unbelievers who would persecute them. Isaiah is talking to King Ahaz, who's trying to make an allowance with, alliance with Syria, and the king's there, and there's a big, huge mess going on, and he's confused what to do, and Isaiah's warning, don't you dare do this. God is speaking. Don't fear these guys. You trust in me. You look to me. I will take care of you. The minute you try and start figuring this thing out, kind of, is what he's talking about. No, no, no. Don't be afraid of them, you guys. Don't be afraid of the threats. When you're doing good, understanding you, you will be rewarded when the persecution comes, don't let it intimidate you. And of course, in, in the context for us here, 
And of course, remember, we're talking physical persecution. We're talking people being killed. And that, of course, was and is a spiritual warfare. But for most of us, in our experience, we, we are the battle that we're facing, the fight that we have, of course, is against the enemy, the unseen enemy. He's the one that's persecuting you guys. He's the one that's lying to you. He's the one that's trying to deceive you. He's the one that's speaking to coworkers and such to, to come after you, to say things that aren't right, to treat you in a way that isn't good. The inspiration that's behind that. They were to trust that the Lord sees and knows, and it is he who will protect us and keep us. And when the persecution and trials come, even if it's from in the form of spiritual warfare and not the actual physical stuff. Now, thank God we don't got to deal with the physical. Imagine that. Imagine that. And yet that is happening in the world today. That's why we are so spoiled here at the church in America where we can do what we're doing without any fret, any fear, anybody coming in and busting in the doors and, and catching us and thinking that we're doing something wrong. No way. So, number three now. This is one of the most important points here in this whole study, though, in verse 15. Always keep Christ as Lord. He says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Sanctify. Of course, we've heard that word before. We know what it means to set apart, to consecrate Christ as Lord, which is demonstrated by my adoration, my, my exaltation, my worship of Christ. I'm setting him apart and above. And he's to be the sole object of our love and reverence and loyalty and obedience. And in the midst of our suffering, we talked about this a little bit, we cannot let that move us. We can't let nothing take the place because either he is Lord of all, you've heard it said before, or he's not Lord at all. He is Lord of all, you guys, even Lord of our sufferings even in what he allows to come our way. Stuff that doesn't make sense to us. Stuff that we are wondering what in the world is going on. I mean, imagine Job sitting there. We know the story of Job. We'll talk about him a little bit later. Imagine that. Job was like, what are you doing, God? And yet God looking upon him like, you're, you're the best man on the earth right now. <laughs> Say it, he's so good. I, I'll challenge you. A little chess game going on between him. Don't want to be in that chess game. Don't want to be the pawn in that one there, brothers. I'll tell you right now. But man, nothing can take his place. And in that, it speaks to me to these three things in suffering. Number one, absolute trust. It's up on the board. Absolute trust. God knows best all the time. Even when I'm looking and I'm thinking and I'm, my head is being twisted around and I'm like, I have no clue what you're doing here, Lord. As Lord of my life, I must trust him for my life. And this word trust, a good acronym for trust, T-R-U-S-T, total reliance upon spiritual truths. Total. What God's word says comes into my heart, and I believe it, and I receive it, and I trust it with everything that I got to my dying breath, you guys. Absolute trust. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, we know this, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He shall direct your path. Always keep Christ as Lord, number one, absolute trust. Number two, absolute surrender to his will, 
to his plan in my circumstances. And of course, Jesus, he was the greatest example of one who surrendered. The greatest example for us to follow. Remember the story in the garden. I mean, he didn't, he didn't go run into the garden and say, no, I just can't wait for this day to happen. No way. When you read that, no, he was distressed to the point of death before his crucifixion. He cries out to God, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. But the word nevertheless, and we, we have to have that in our vocabulary, guys, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And think about the times you've cried out, in essence, just like Jesus. Man, Lord, please let this cup pass. And so often it comes when we have a loved one that's suffering, that things aren't going right, and, and it's, it's just not looking good, and you're like, oh, God, please don't let this happen. And yet it happens. God, if it's your will, I beg you, let this cup pass. Please, Lord, I don't think I can handle this one. Anybody ever said that before? Man. But when he is Lord, when he is Lord, I must, I must surrender. So absolute trust, absolute surrender. Number three, absolute confidence. That his love for me is far greater than the suffering, even when it seems the circumstances are contrary I'm going to share a story with you. Some of you guys are thinking it might be kind of silly, but April 8th, 2020, last year, I had to put my beloved dog Finn to sleep. Now, dog lovers kind of can relate. You guys, are, you're going to go, what in the world? I'm going to tell you right now, that's just the way it is. Because I could not understand how much that hurt my heart. Could not understand. Honestly, it was the most heart-wrenching experience of my life in a loss. I've lost mom and dad, stepdad, stepmoms, mother-in-law, brother-in-laws, aunts, uncles, cousins. I mean, tons of family members. And I thought about even for my own mom, not even close. I lost this little dog. We had to put him to sleep. He had a seizure disorder. And it's right when COVID had hit. There was other things going on in my life, personally, in, in my family with one of my sons on top of that. And in the midst of all that, it was like, are you kidding me, God? And I'm telling you what, guys, five full days, I could not stop crying. I couldn't deal with this. I was up in the middle of the night. My wife was so worried about me. I'm, she'd find me in the, in the living room, staring out the window, just, just crying, just sitting there. Like, and I wrestled with God over this one. I mean, literally like, I mean, serious. Like, and I'm trying to explain to you how, how desperate my heart was. It was so hard. I couldn't believe it. And yet, the only thing that got me through, that brought me to a place where I finally was able to kind of go, okay, I got to move forward life here, was coming to the point where I believed that God loved me so much that some way, somehow, because he knew how much I loved this dog, it's not biblical. I'm not saying this is, you know, from God's word, but this is just what settled my heart, that because he loved me so much, 
it would not be impossible for God to allow me to see that dog when I got to heaven. True story, guys. And when I made that connection, absolutely confident of God's love, you guys. And whatever your circumstances, suffering, what's going on, you've got to have that confidence that he loves you no matter what. And his love is greater than the situation. And when I made that connection, I was able to start moving forward from you guys. It's still hard. I'm telling you right now. We're going to get another little fin. I'm waiting for him to be reincarnated. I'm telling you right now. I'm telling you, I'm serious. (laughs) As crazy as it sounds. But guys, I had to come to that place. And it was the only way that I made it through the spiritual warfare, through the lies. Because you can imagine what's going on in my heart. Are you kidding me, God? I served you. I've done this, all this huge list and everything. And you allowed my... And not only to die, die, but the way he had to die. We had to make the decision. I know I'm rambling on here, but it was terrible. I'm telling you right now. Man. Man. Because, guys, here it is. Deep suffering is a place of great spiritual warfare. Don't, don't underestimate what the devil can do when you're in the middle of it. And it's tough. I'm not talking the minor things. I'm talking, man. Remember, the devil hates you. He whispers the lies and deceit. Tries to get you to take and turn and take Christ off the throne of your hearts. Because if God truly loved you, he wouldn't have let this happen. And I'm telling you, that's one of the biggest lies the devil has that he throws when we suffer, when we lose a loved one, when we lose a job, when we lose finances, when we get the the notice that we got cancer, when somebody dies, whatever it is. Man. And the thing about it, guys, is Christ must be Lord of my life before I go into the trials. If he's not Lord of my life when the trials hit, then the trials definitely have the potential to take him off that throne. But when he is the Lord, even in the gravest of trials, we can have no fear. We can can have total peace. We can say as David, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm going to fear no evil because he's with me. He is with me. He is with you, brothers. Man, keep that. Christ is Lord. He's Lord. He is Lord. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Number four, though, be eager to share your hope. Verse 15b, where he goes on to say, be, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Be eager to share your hope, guys. Why? Why, is, why should we be eager and ready? What's the purpose? Well, I'm going to tell you what, because in times of suffering and trials, To remember the reason for this hope is great therapy, brothers. Great things that God has done. It's great to recount and remember the great things that God has done in your life while you're going through it. Why? Number one, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, both sure and steadfast. What the Hebrew writer talked about, of course, being Jesus. This hope keeps me tethered to Christ when the storms come. I'm anchored to him. And his anchor isn't breaking loose, you guys. He's not going anywhere. Number two, though, this hope is Jesus. 
and the inheritance, which is undefiled, it isn't incorruptible, it doesn't fade away, it's reserved in heaven. He is that living hope they were talking about. We share this hope. The hope is an anchor. The hope is Jesus. The hope is our inheritance that we have ready for us in heaven. But number three, this hope being shared, guys, really is your testimony. That's what I'm talking about here when he talks about to give a defense, to give the reason. What is that defense? What is that reason? It's your testimony. Man, what God did for you. How did he save you? How's he changed your life? Man, and, and to share your testimony, you don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't got to be a Charlie Campbell with always be ready. You don't got to know all the doctrines. All that. You just tell the people, hey, look, I was lost. Now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. The simple story of your life really, guys, is the most powerful defense, the most powerful thing. Why? Because when I share my testimony it reminds me of the power of God. What was the power of God? Man, to change your life. Think about your testimony. What did God do? How did he change your life? Some of you have radical testimonies. Some of you guys have even more radical testimonies because you don't have a testimony. You followed Christ all your life. That's even more amazing to me than to be some knucklehead who was running amok and crazy. Man, but it reminds me of the power of God. It reminds me of the plan of God to give you and me a future and a hope to bring this salvation. But also it reminds me that God can, you guys. God can work out my current sufferings. Why? Because he has done it before. How do I know? Just look at yourself in the mirror. You're still alive. You're not in hell today. Hallelujah, praise Jesus. Man, if he can do that, what can he not do? No. And number four, of course, this hope is what we should always be ready to share because it is the best defense you can give. Recently, I was sitting with a couple, just hanging out talking, and, and it was so cool how the conversation was just able to steer, and I was there sharing my testimony with them. And man, when I get started on my testimony, man, it's the people are like, man, I wish we hadn't brought that up, you know, because I just get so excited about it because it, it even amazes me when I look at this and I, I, I start telling the story of, you know, man, the drinking and the drugs and the problem and then the New Year's Eve party in 1987 and then the crash in the Rose Bowl the next day and waking up two days later going, oh my gosh, I wish I was dead. Anybody felt like that? And then realizing, man, I'm in trouble. Then deciding we're going to go to church. So we go to the church we get married at. We don't know nothing. We don't know anything about it. We walk in though and to see how God began to work and transform our lives man and then the day that we dedicated our sons to the lord is when the knowledge that was going in here went to here and i gave my life to christ and he he made a complete u-turn in my life like i was this way but now i'm going this way man you guys remember that kind of stuff and 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 that's so good to remember we don't want to dwell on the past and on the heartache and the negative. There's still stuff that pops in my head. And you think about it as well yourself, just like, oh, my gosh, if I could ever find that person and go back to him and apologize for the way that I acted and treated that person. Still today. Has to do with girls. I'm sure you all have had that same experience. It's terrible. Man, but when you share this testimony, 
man, the hope that you have. Gosh, it's so cool to remember what God did, you guys. And reminding yourself for the purpose of reason, realizing that the current suffering you're in, God can fix. God can do a miracle. There's nothing he can't do in our sufferings, you guys. And then Peter, of course, adds that we share this hope with, of course, an attitude of humility. Remember we talked about that? With a proper Christian conduct. Don't want to be overbearing. Don't want to be telling everybody, you're all going to hell and here, and you, as you hit him in the head with the, the Bible. That doesn't work too well. Also, it doesn't mean that we don't want to be self-righteous, that we think that we're better than others because we're saved. It's kind of what he's talking about here with meekness and, and reverence. Man, be eager, guys, to share your testimony, especially when you are suffering. Let God remind you of the great things that he's done. Amen? The lastly, number five, keep doing good, verse 16 through 17, in the midst of the storms and trials, and having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, they who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed, for it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Peter's saying here is that we can't let the suffering that we're experiencing keep us from doing good. We talked about this. The sufferings shouldn't keep us from the proper Christian conduct that represent Christ that are outlined in God's word here for us. And the sufferings, on the contrary, when we do good in spite of the way we're treated or in spite of the sufferings, it does two things. Number one, it keeps our conscience clear. Man, no matter what is being said about me, no matter what they're talking about, in the office, no matter what rumor or lie is being spread out there, you know in your heart, it ain't true. Why? Because I know what I've done, and I know what I'm doing, and I didn't do that thing, and I didn't say that thing. So that's the idea behind it. But if we got to backpedal, we got to like, eh, oh, um, yeah, I did say that. I did act like that. I did look that way. I did do that with it. All, then, then there's problems. Then there's problems. We've got to go back and ask forgiveness. We've got to start this thing over again. But it keeps our conscience clear. And the enemy's lies fall on your and my deaf ears. I ain't listen to the enemy here. That's a lie. That's a lie. I didn't do that. Didn't do that one either. Nope, nope. I'm cool. I'm clean. I'm clear. Number two, though, it will disprove their accusations is what he's talking about. They will see that they've spoken fa falsely about your conduct and regret. Actually, they've treated you this way. Now, that doesn't happen too often, but it does happen. Remember in chapter 2, verse 15, it says, By doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. And, of course, to keep doing good is a tough one, guys, when you are suffering, especially when it's this, the, the greatest sufferings that you can go through, loss of a loved one. Man, it's so hard to not just basically turn and become so self-centered. Everything's about me right now. Everything's about myself. And of course, again, looking at Christ as the example. The standard that was set. Chapter 2, 21, what does he say? For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. And when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Man. That's a standard, but that's the challenge for all of us, that in the midst of suffering, we can't revert to the flesh. We can't go back to the old ways. We can't use the excuse, even though, really, we are only human, 
and, and no one's going to be able to live up to that standard, but at least we have something we can shoot for, amen, as the example. And number three, it's the best way to suffer. Verse 17, of course, if God allows us suffering, suffering, let it be because of some good, not some sin or evil work of our hearts, man. This way we know that we have God's help and blessings in the midst. God forbid we do something so stupid that basically we're kind of out there on our own, having to deal with the consequences. Not that God can't forgive it, but that's not a good place to be. Amen. So application for us tonight, wrapping this up, doing way better on time. Number one, suffering, of course, obviously will surely come. Probably never like what Peter is addressing with these people here, the dispersed. But we're going to have our troubles, of course. But we must remember that the suffering does not go unnoticed. How do we know this, of course? Throughout the Bible, of course, go all the way back with me to Exodus chapter 3 when God is calling Moses. And what does he tell Moses? Hey, I have seen their afflictions. I have heard their cries. I know their sufferings, guys. That's why he calls Moses. Moses is the type of Christ. He sends Moses to their rescue. Suffering's going to come, but God sees it. He is not, he's not blinded to it, and he's going to reward us for it, you guys. Number two, though, there are examples who suffered in the Bible who actually received rewards on earth, but others received their rewards once they were in heaven. So the guys that received some rewards on earth, you think about, think about Joseph and the story of Job as well. We all know the story of Joseph. Maybe you don't, but of course, Genesis 39, that amazing story of this guy who his brothers kicked in the pit, 17 years old, sold him the Midianites, took him to Egypt, sold him Potiphar. He's doing a great job. All along the way, you see Joseph, he continues to do good. And yet he's dealt this lame hand where Potiphar's wife, of course, wants him to mess around. He doesn't, and yet she accuses him. He gets thrown in prison. So in prison, as you read the story, what is he? He's doing good. He sees the butler, the baker. Those guys are like long-faced. Hey, man, what's the matter? How come you're so sad? Well, so, hey, I'll interpret. You know, they have these dreams. I'll interpret the dreams. Well, it was a good dream for the butler, but it wasn't a good dream for the baker, which is a bummer. But he tells the, tells the butler, hey, we need to get out. Tell the pharaoh, you know, about, they forget about him. More years go by. Finally, though, finally, the Pharaoh has the dream. They remember, the, the uh, butler remembers, oh, yeah, there was a guy in prison who prophesied, dreamed, interpreted my dream perfectly. Oh, let's get him. And, of course, we know the story. He gets out. He preserves. So we see the reward that Joseph had. His family comes. He's, he has two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. I mean, it's just great. And, of course, he dies ripe old age and life ever happened, whatever. Job the same way. Job's sufferings go on and on and on. We see what happens with Job, and yet to the end of the story, God blesses Job double. Doesn't give him double the kids or the wife, but he blesses him double for everything that he lost. Those guys received rewards here. It does happen. But then you think of Paul, and you think of John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist is one that still blows my mind when I read that story. Jesus' cousin. Jesus himself says, of men born of women, there is no one 
more righteous than John the Baptist. No greater guy. And yet we know that in both situations, those guys' reward on earth were what? They were shortened by about 10, 12, whatever inches. Got their heads cut off. But Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, well, no, excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 through 8, what did he say? Hey, I finished the race. I have kept the faith. And he says, finally, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness laid up for me that I will receive when I get to heaven, not only to me, but to all those who have believed. And, of course, John, I mean, he was ushered straight into the presence of God. So there are those examples, guys. So the bottom line is that we will be rewarded. And we love it when it comes here, but it's going to be even greater when it gets to heaven. Number three, though, things, of course, we must remember just recapping, doing good will bring peace. Your suffering will be rewarded. Always keep Christ as Lord. Always be eager to share your hope. Keep doing good. But number four, number three, as I shared, the most important. Because, guys, if he isn't Lord, then really you're never going to survive the sufferings that are coming our way. That's what Peter was telling these guys. Because remember, in this story, in this book, the sufferings that were to come a few years after Peter dies. And what is happening was horrific compared to even what was going on when he wrote this letter. You're not going to survive. You're going to eventually turn against him and you're going to accuse him of doing things wrong, of treating you unfairly and, and falling really kind of into the camp of the scoffers, the camp of the devil, and looking back at God and remembering when you used to come to this church, remembering when you used to walk with the brothers in the fellowship. And guys, you know, interesting, I, I pulled out a, a, a picture of a men's retreat from 1999. Guys, remember when we used to take the big giant picture out there and we're all out there? Man, it's a trip. Some of you guys are in that picture. But I'm looking, he's dead, he's dead, he's dead. He fell away, he fell away, he's gone, he's gone. That's the bigger picture that I saw many who have walked away ran into a brother who'd done the same thing who sat right in this very room right next door to me two weeks ago he was working on my next door neighbor's house and i come walking out there and and he remember he pastor rob and i remember this brother he used to come enjoy sweet fellowship and yet the trials the sufferings the things of this life man if he's not lord guys be careful. you got to make him Lord. But when he is Lord, not just Savior. There's a lot of people who have Jesus as Savior. Yeah, he's my Savior. No, he's got to be Lord. He's Lord and Savior. When he is Lord, then I'm able to make it through my sufferings because ultimately it's not my will, but his will be done. Amen, my brothers? So the keys to suffering, brothers. God's there, amen? He's on the throne. I read today in Psalm, the Psalm I was reading, oh, it was Psalm 28, 29. He sat as Lord over the flood, and he sits as king forever. He's there, guys. He's on the throne of our lives, amen? Let's stand, let's pray. Get you to your groups. And Lord, again, we just surrender to you. 
trusting in you with all of our hearts, knowing, Lord, your love for us is greater than anything that we are experiencing, even right this very moment, with the promise, the truth of your word that says that you can do all things. And in the midst of the trials, midst of the things that we're going through, and Lord, it's, it's, it's multivaried, with, even within this room, Lord. But we're so thankful, God, that you see, that you know, you understand, that you're working on our behalfs, you're, you're helping our hearts to get through these things, even when they make no sense to us at all. And Lord, as we call you, Lord, uh, as we have set you apart, uh, Lord, let that never change, no matter what happens being reminded that ultimately we leapfrog over every bit of things that are happening on this earth because nothing is going with us except for your love for us. So bless my brothers in their group times, encourage them, Lord, in their sufferings, in their difficulties, in life's persecutions and the challenges that are going on, especially in the spiritual warfare that we're all experiencing. And Lord, just bless their time, we pray. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.